Blog Talk Radio. I'm not quite sure if, is that outside of your apartment or outside of your office or was that your, was that our new opening? No, that was very much outside my apartment. It is. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass. Be careful as you And while we are here in New York, which is basically on lockdown these days, Seth and Sean's Sports Radio Show does return to Tuesdays, which will be our new new home and for the 7 to 8 o'clock hour from now on. Back to where we started from the very beginning, which was our home from the very beginning. So, Seth, I don't Quite know profound. about you. You're on the east side. Yeah, it's very profound. You know, I'm on the west side. You're on the east side at least for a couple of more weeks until you you move out of state. It is scary here in Bomber. New York. I mean, five years, and I have I never know. seen it like this. I don't know. I I didn't think you would – I'll be honest with you. I was talking with a client of mine today who lives in Montana, and she is offering her condolences. and not, But she was offering her – you know, you know, we all hope everyone's praying. I don't think New York particularly reacted that much to it, to be honest. Um, you know, cre- first of all, all credit to law, you know, as much grief as law enforcement has gotten over the last couple of years. And if people want to call in and discuss any of this stuff, 760-283-0846, they caught this guy within, they caught this guy and they caught the other people pretty much within 36 hours, which is pretty amazing. Um, when I was home, uh, my wife was at a bachelorette party, so I was home with the little man and the dog. And when when this popped up on my Twitter, and I was so fascinated by it that I turned on New York One for approximately 15 seconds and then went back to college football. Didn't impact me, didn't care. And kind of the what the consensus I've seen, most New Yorkers, is they kind of felt the same way. Like they were, you know, obviously there's a, like a moment of shock and then it's like, okay, it's just some, it's, it's, it's not, impo- it's almost not important enough or not big enough to kind of, to, to change your daily life. I mean, did you have a okay. different, did you have a different impression? Well, I'm not sure how much you actually have gone out on the Midtown East in the last two days. So I went East, to. I was on. I was on. I was on Broadway. Okay. I, I went. I went to go see West. a show last night. And then we okay, we so cabbed over. Wait, wait, wait! But you went to see a show, and the shows are on the west side more than the east side. I'm talking like Third yes. Avenue, Lexington, between like 40th yeah. and 50th, somewhere in that area. It was blocked. It West. was blocked off. It was blocked off for the UN. It wasn't blocked off yeah. because of what happened to the U.N. No, I get that. But there is a lot more security than I, – I have heard a lot more sirens in the last three days than I recall hearing. And like you said, is that your apartment or is that our new intro? 
yes, it's it's not affecting me. I get that. Is that it basically I walk past it and I'm like, okay, that's just the way it is. That's New York. But it's definitely on higher alert than it's been in the past. Maybe that's maybe um, I'm just being oversensitive to it. I don't know. You, I mean, I I was uh, I was down. I had a, I had a meeting on 42nd and 3rd today, or 42nd and Lex, excuse me, and it was typical. There was nothing out of the ordinary. Um, you know, and then I walked to my office on 41st and 6th, and it was typical. And then, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't hanging out on 40th, you know, but I, and I could see that things were blocked off. Yes, when A, the president comes to town, or B, the UN is in session. There, there's a big UN ses- in session. A, a UN is in session, excuse me. So for me, it had the minimus impact in, in, in every capacity. Um, you know, it was more. Look, as I said, credit to the law enforcement, credit to law enforcement for the expediency in which they which they took care of this, and because of that, maybe it was kind of a shrug your shoulder. It was for me, it was a shrug my shoulders kind of thing. Now okay. you've been dealing with additional, you've been dealing with additional stresses due to, well. Your crazy night last night. Do we get to hear about that, or are we all, or are we off of all no, topic? No, no, no. We definitely don't get to hear about that. <laughs> There's really nothing really to say about that. It's been an interesting couple of weeks at work. It's been an interesting couple of weeks in my life. But at the same time, you know what? Sports does go on. And, two, and it's been an one interesting in- couple. Of, all right, I'll, you make the segue, not me. Please. Look, I mean, there was one person that passed away last year last week uh wp kinsella and some of those have some of those that are listening may know that name and other people may not and the reason you don't you may or may not know that name is he was an author so you ask what did he write that we should know about well wp kinsella was a canadian novelist and he wrote a short story called shoeless joe shoeless joe was adapted to the movie that most sports fans would know as Field of Dreams. And so WP Kinsella died at 81 last last week. He was profound. I mean, look, the short story which turned into a movie shaped a lot of people over the course of time. I know that there were certain books and certain novels and certain movies that shaped my sports love my love of sports over time i was telling seth the other day every year i would read the complete handbook of baseball it was by i believe i'm going to look it up now but i believe it was by an author named zach hollander which for some reason that sticks with me and every year it would come out and you have bill james bible and these things yeah xander hollander Wow, that was pretty good. So these are things I that I remember that to. I actually remember that name ironically. Yeah, things I remembered every single week, every single year I looked forward to, books that I read such as those. What were some of your influences that you remember reading growing up that um extolled your your love of sports? And we welcome calls in at 760-283-0846 and there is a segue from this to 
what's happening today in the, in the last two weeks of the baseball season as well, which I'll get to in a second. First and foremost, it was the I would it was Sports Illustrated every week, and while I still get Sports Illustrated and still enjoy it, it certainly doesn't have the same impact that it did 30, 35 years ago. At that point, obviously, there was no internet, there was no Twitter, there was no Facebook, there was nothing. So there was certainly ESPN was barely a station, let alone a conglomerate. And so the best thing, the best sports writers either were reading, either were, were newspaper writers. And where I was from, you read, the, you really only got one of two newspapers. You got the New York Times, or you got the, or you received, you got the Bergen Rack. And there were, and there were a couple other writers like Jerry Eisenberg from the Ledger was really good. But the national, the really big time national writers, wrote for Sports Illustrated. So that was where I kind of got my start in that regard. Um, books that I read, I'm trying to think back. Man, um, I mean, I could give you a list of the five or six best sports books I've ever read, but most of them have been in the last ten years. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember. Because I don't, I never read Shoeless Joe. Um, so I, I can't really discuss that. Although I, I guess I never put two and two together. I didn't know that a guy named Kinsella was the writer of the book. Who, of course, obviously Kevin yeah. Costner plays Ray Kinsella in the game, which I assume is an is an homage to him, or in the movie, which I assume is an homage to him. Um, sports Illustrated, first and foremost, and then I would read, I had one or two sports tri- big sports trivia books, like the big book of sports trivia, where I would read, sure. and I would probably read through like the sports almanacs, um, yeah. because I was a sports nerd even at age four. So those were the you know, there, those were the ones, and as I, obviously as I got older, there were other books: The Boys of Summer by Roger Kahn, uh, Breaks of the Game by David Halberstam, uh, the Bill Simmons Big Book Basketball, which I still think is hysterical. I was actually kind of skimming it last night, um, you know. And there there have been other books that have, that have impacted, um, but when I think of the the single most impactful news oriented you know for you know the single i guess without a question yeah i i think look i sound like the old man here when i say this before the internet right so when we were when we were kids we'd hear stories of our grandparents would buy this for a nickel or that for a nickel or would have to go to a convenience store and do those silent movies that i showed you in san francisco where you would uh, the 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 spit the turnstile movies which you had never seen, and and we could say you know what there was a life before the internet and I looked forward every single day to reading Newsday and seeing what sports were out there. I didn't have ESPN until I went to college. It I remember sitting in my brother's dorm room, my older brother Mitch at Ithaca College, and watching four straight hours of sports center looking for the differences. And at that point <laughs> they were just on repeat. And I, I was amazed that I could watch sports center for four straight hours. And my Mitch came home from class one day and he saw me in the exact same position when he left. And that was four hours later. And he goes, Sean, you do understand this is the same broadcast over and over and over again. I was like, 
Yeah, I was trying to find something new. Yeah, it's it's not new. So WP Kinsella, Xander Hollander, uh, Steve Isaac, Murray Chase, who wrote for New York Times, these were the words that I would read every day. And when it comes right down to it, because I didn't have cable, I also tuned to the radio a lot. And the voices were Jiggs McDonald, Gary Cohen for the Mets. The Knicks had Marv Albert, which who is, to me, still the best radio broadcast I've ever heard is anything done by Marv Albert. And the Jets was Greg Jennings. Oh, I can't remember who did play-by-play with Jennings on the Jets. But the segue is very simple in that this week we bid adieu not to yeah and yeah and yeah, but to the best play-by-play broadcaster of the last 70 years, Vin Scully, uh, doing his last two weeks of baseball for, and we were at Dodger Stadium two years ago when they announced that this would be his last year, and it is. And he's doing the play-by-play for the Dodgers. And respectfully, the Giants, who they are playing, have said for the last game that he play, that he does the play-by-play, Giants versus Dodgers, that one inning, he will be simulcast on the Giants radio network, which I think is fantastic. A, a good homage to Vince Scully. Um, yeah, I, I, there, there is no question. Now, whether he's been the best for 70 years is a different, is, is a different discussion for a different, it, it, it's, it's an impossible discussion, but he is probably the most famous and you know, probably considered, I would assume the greatest of all time. You're going to have the, the red barbers and the Kurt Gowdy's and, um, the Joe Bucks. Okay. I'm kidding on the Joe Bucks, but, um, you know, it's, it, I'm not sure. It's his longevity that is so incredible. I mean, think about it. He started doing this at age 23. He's 90. He's been doing some version of this, whether it was uh, the NBC game of the week, whether it was Dodger, the Dodgers baseball, whether, and I forget who he, I think he, who he was with prior. Um, was he, I forget. Did he do the Giants at any point? I don't think so. I don't believe he did. The, I don't believe he did the Giants. I know. He, I, I I'm going to look at it right now. I believe he did the Yankees. I'm going to look that up right now. So, so Vince Scully did the CBS game of the week. He's done yep. 67 straight seasons with the Dodgers. So, no, he didn't do anybody else. Um, the first game that he ever did. He impressed his boss with coverage of a 1949 University of Maryland versus Boston (laughs) University football game from Fenway Park. And from then on, he started with the Dodgers in 1950. Wow. And then he worked with Red Barber, who was also a Hall of Famer. And then in 1953, he took over um, when – as, as the full t- as the principal announcer, when when Barbara left, it's Barbara left. Oh, he's been now, there ever since. 
Now, it's important to realize Vince Scully doesn't have a color commentator. He does it all. No. And in a in a um, by the way, it was Bob Wischusen who did it with uh, Dave Jennings and Marty Lyons for the Jets. But the fact is, in an era where you say you need X, Y, and Z to compete, and you have more people talking than really need to be talking on these games, Scully is the best of the best. He lets the game take precedence. And it it's I mean, uh, Look, listening to Vince Scully is like listening listening to heaven to me. Um, when you think of – it's funny that we said um, a field of dreams. Field of dreams, is, to me, has Vince Scully in it. <laughs> I'm listening to Scully because he is music to my ears and certainly will be missed. Look, I'm a Mets fan. I grew up with Howie Rose, Bob Murphy, Ralph Kiner, and those guys, Gary Thorne. But Gully is is in a class all by himself and will be terribly missed, especially in Dodgerland. And the unfortunate thing is he hasn't been, because of problems between the Dodgers and their TV broadcast partner, which is Fox Sports in L.A., and all the cable operators, he hasn't been heard by the masses in L.A. for the last two to three years. And that's a shame. Do you have so, any? What is your most indelible, indelible memory of Vince Scully? My most indelible memory of Vince Scully is the call that you never hear. So, in 1988, whose call do you hear when it's Kirk Gibson? Whose call do you remember? I actually remember Vince Scully's. I thought. Uh, I can't believe what I just saw is not Vin Scully. That's Jack Buck. Jack Buck. Scully, if I remember, pretty much me. Okay. So the call that you don't hear is Vin Scully's call. And I'm trying to pull it up right now, but it was heard on radio. And it was an amazing – let me see if this is the call. I'm going to see once I get it up. But um, the fact is his call on radio was absolutely phenomenal. And because I listened to the game on radio, I didn't listen to that World Series game on TV. I heard Scully's call, not Jack Buck's. So that's the indelible impression that I remember. What about yourself? Here you go. Oh, maybe you're right. This is the call. So, could you hear the call when I played it or no? No, he doesn't. Okay, apparently we're hearing it twice. What Scully says is he, he says that Kirk Gibson is coming up he hasn't played all season. 
He's always put the team on his back. And he just, it's a high fly ball to right field, and it's gone. And all he does is he lets the crowd, you, all you hear is the crowd. You don't hear Jack, Jack Buck, I can't believe what I just saw. Vin Scully, what makes Vin Scully perfect, well, perfect is a high, high threshold. What makes him great is he allows the moment to shine. He allows the audience. He is the perfect example of letting the moment shine and letting the audience hear what's going on. Too few words rather than too many. So that's my end. And baseball game of the week was always Vince Scully. Yes, it was. And the most double for me, and I'm surprised this wasn't the one that you came up with, was the little roller up along first, behind the bag, gets through Buckner. And here comes Ray Knight and the Mets winning. Of course, game six of the 86 series, uh, when the Mets came back from 5-3 down, two outs, to win improbably. And, you know, he is when, – when we're going to think back over, you know, the greatest announcers of our lifetime, he – I didn't get to see him because no, I'm not the baseball fan that you are. So I didn't get to see – and he is – you know, he, he's on – he's a Dodgers announcer. So we didn't get to see – we haven't seen him on a national game in 20-some-odd years. We didn't see him do the NFL when he did it. We didn't see him do golf when he did it for the most part. So by the time we – you know, us as 40-year-olds, were following this. He was strictly a, a Dodgers announcer. And you would see him occasionally on the game of the week, but there was no, it, it, was, it was, especially as I said, for me, as opposed to Sean, who's a much bigger baseball fan than I am, I found him a wonderful to listen to and just an amazing storyteller. And what we, I mean, what would you do to have an hour? kind of to have an hour discussion with him and just to hear some of the stories, some of the things he's seen over 67 years. And the funniest thing is he's not even, he doesn't even have the, 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 the most longevity on the Dodgers. I don't know if you knew that. Lasorda has one year more additional, one year longer uh, tenure with the Dodgers. Than... I, did, I did not know that. That is an, int- that is an amazing stat. That is, How about that is that? amazing. I did not I did It only took show number four, three, 250. Or give or take, for me to come up with something to say, Sean, to have Sean say that I had an amazing fact. Go figure. Amazing. How about that? How about that? <laughs> That's not. And 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 that is Harry Carey. That's not. Uh, yep. Vin Scully. So let's move on to, to look. Twenty-five minutes. If you'd like to call in and discuss Vin Scully or any other character from your childhood, please do such. Seven six zero two eight three zero eight four six. We are going to move on to different sports while Jake makes his his weekly appearance on the show through his crying. Yeah. Sooner sooner later, what will happen is Jake will take over for Seth. That will happen, <laughs> give or take five to ten years. I have no doubt that that will happen, and I will have a new co-host, and we will call Seth the co-host emeritus as he will fade into retirement. <laughs> I'll be the chairman of the board. Chairman of the board of Back Sports Page. So, uh, Seth, a, a truly, a truly valuable uh, title to say the least. Agreed. But here's the thing. So, 
the Seth and Short Sports Radio Show, our fantasy team goes 2-0. and Even though we placed Jonathan Stewart on the, on the bench or on, on the injured list, even though we had Amir Abdullah on the injured list with only three points, we did, we did suffer those losses but yet still survived. I really don't remember a week, and we say this every year, a week of so many injuries. But this week, there were a lot of injuries. I mean, a lot of running backs, a lot of quarterbacks going down. For those that believe that there should be an 18-game NFL season, once again, I say this every year, look at the team. You're insane. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we're looking at Cleveland, who is on quarterback number three at this point. By the way, we're only on week three. (laughs) So, yeah. Now, to be fair, for 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 um, for Cleveland, it might as well be Week 18. And if Dave White is calling in, you know, I apologize. I'm sorry. I feel your pain. But there's a reality. Your team is horrendous, as you knew it would be. Um, you Minnesota. I mean, Sam Bradford put on a performance which I think everyone, I believe, was stunned by. You know, but he's coming in eight days in after Teddy Bridgewater out for the year. Um, as you said, it, it is a more and more dangerous sport. And the, the athleticism is so unbelievable and so beyond the realm that, you know, these things are going to happen. And it's going to be the teams with the great depth. You know, we're going to see how Jacoby, uh, Jacoby Bissett or, uh, replaces Garofalo on Thursday night. I mean, Garofalo was playing his way into a seven, into a month into a Matt Castle-esque contract after only starting four games, potentially. Um, you know, it is a, look, it's an extraordinarily dangerous game. It's why the popularity has waned a little bit with people playing at the high school level, because it's just getting to a point of, of just the danger of just exceeding it. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Like you said, Sam Bradford putting on a clinic, really a clinic Sunday night. And I'd like to thank him for that as his hookups with Stefan Diggs certainly won me a, a fantasy football game this week. And the fact that Adrian Peterson got hurt didn't exactly hurt matters. Next week, we uh, our team goes against the Bate Isles, who hopefully we'll have on Monday where we can either say congratulations or we can go ha-ha in the fact that he does not have Adrian Peterson for this week if you want to pick up Gerald McKinnon. But I'll tell you right now, I don't, Seth, I'm not sure if you watched the game, uh, the Green Bay-Minnesota game, but they weren't running the ball anyway. That team, yeah. I don't know what's happening, but they, they, can, they could not run the ball, no matter who they were putting out there. No, uh, and it's already making – AP owners from a fantasy perspective pause a little bit and it's a it's a question that you have a running back who's 30 years old and as great as he's been now again it's two weeks in your offensive line is still a little bit haphazard your quarterback situation has been up in the air to say the least so it's probably not something to be too concerned about and they are 2-0 and but uh you know, when your best player is having such difficulty with this, it doesn't bode well for your future no matter how good your start is. 
Correct. And I was very I have been very surprised with how well the Giants have gelled on the defensive side of the ball. They have played extraordinarily well. Um the offense we knew would would be okay. Uh we thought that they would have one of those offenses that especially in the NFC East that would be one of those top offenses. But defensively with all the new additions, they have been Surprisingly good for me. Uh, Janoris Jenkins picking up that fumble, uh, sorry, block kick. Jonathan Hawkins actually blocking the kick. Olivia Vernon putting on some pressure, not exactly getting the sacks, but the pressure is still there. The offense really hasn't come around as well as everybody thought they would be, but they had a good win. They're 2 0. To me, that's a surprising 2 0. Surprising is not shocking. Um... Dallas, I mean, thinking, you know, kind of going through this in your mind, Dallas is playing without Tony Romo, which in, in, in Dak Prescott's first game. And then New Orleans on the road is not, a, is not always, you know, Drew Brees in, in the Dome, you can count on 300 yards and three touchdowns. Drew Brees on the road in Giant Stadium, you can't, you can't quite say the same. Um, these are two games I thought they should have won. Uh, Debate actually reached out to tell me how impressed because he had told me that he, because he had picked the Giants, I had picked the Skins to win the division. The Skins are, really look terrible. Yeah, I'm happy. Uh, the defenses look solid, which, which you know they play the Skins next week, and which could be, I mean, it could be almost be a must-win game for Washington because they would be down three games in the division after three game after three weeks. It's not exactly. A does not it's, it's certainly problematic to say the least. But yeah, I'm satisfied. The Jets pretty much may have facilitated the exit of their ex coach. Um, not particularly impressed with Buddy Ryan firing his offensive coordinator after two games, especially after they had almost 400 yards of offense, and after Ryan said he before the year that he would not fire any coordinator, he would be the first to leave. Well, Greg Roman's not the problem actually, with that team. Seth, I'm actually very impressed that Buddy Ryan fired every anybody. Buddy Ryan's dead. Okay, that's right. <laughs> My fault. I'm just saying, I'm very impressed by that. So we have a couple of 0-2 teams, right? So we got Miami, Buffalo, Cleveland, Indianapolis, who you picked to, to, to go downhill, but you also picked Jacksonville to win that division. So both of them 0-2, Washington 0-2, Chicago 0-2, New Orleans 0-2. Those are the 0-2 teams. Which of these 0-2 teams is in the most trouble? Well, I mean, I think there, there's a couple easy answers to that because there's teams that are going to have abs- – I mean, the Cleveland Browns are not going to win four games this season. So to say that they're in trouble I think is – Kind of meaningless. Okay. Um, I mean, who, is the, who is the most dis- the most disappointing? Um, I think the Redskins are very disappointing at zero two. Uh, they had two. I mean, Pittsburgh is a very good team, but the Dallas game was certainly winnable. I think. I'm not sure if Miami is a disappointing zero two, or they they played Seattle very very well in week one, 
Um, I'm forgetting who they lost to this past week. It's it's escaping me. New England. Um, oh, that's right. Which New England. They weren't really favorite. Yeah, I got it. so they so they. I don't think you can call that. Dis- I mean, those are two two tough wins under the best of circumstances. Anyway, I think the Bills are disappointing. I I think it's the Redskins and the Bills. I don't think I, I think that's a pretty easy call for me. You see, and for me, it's not either one of those. For me, the most disappointing to me, the most disappointing is Indianapolis and Jacksonville. Indianapolis, who has given up the second most points in the in the NFL, seventy three points through two games, seventy three points. I mean, that is mind boggling. Let's put it this way: they've given up seventy three points. Seattle has given up. 19, and they're one and one. 73 points, differential of minus 18. Jacksonville, differential of minus 28. They've scored 37 and given up 65. How long, look, when you're Chuck Pagano, I think you have a little bit of a leash, given what he's done in the past couple of years. When you're Gus Bradley, what kind of leash are you given, if any? How much more does he have left? Gus Bradley has the second worst winning percentage of of coaches that have coached more than 30 games in NFL history, sir. NFL history. That's a long time. Yes, but to be fair, he came in with a team that, to say, was bereft of talent is – I get it. Not an okay, issue. but now they have but now you but but now you come out in the in the year that was supposed to be that breakout year, right? This, this was the breakout year. You had all your your ducks yeah. in a row. Well, you go I'm, to no, first of all, I'm not, I'm not you they lost at home by 4 to Green Bay. I don't consider right, that a bad they, loss. Well, how about losing down the, the road? By 24 at San Diego. And, de- and that they game absolutely wasn't that crapped the bed. And the game was not that close. The game was, was, was actually a bigger blowout than that. I agree. They were awful last week. And to go 0-3, and now New England, Houston plays New England this week. So there's a good chance that they're going to be 2-1 and one after the week. And Jacksonville plays at home against the Ravens. This is a game you need to win. They, I agree. They cannot go zero and three, and Gus Bradley is well respected and well liked, which is the reason he still has a job. But you know, so here's, I look through this. I'm looking. I'm looking through the schedule, and it is not an overly difficult. So, so they have they have Baltimore and they have Indy both at home in the next two weeks. If they lose both those games, they have a bye week in week five. I don't think he's there week six. And Indianapolis right. is in London. And Indianapolis is in London. So that's a nine thirty AM game. So that's a really long trip home if you lose in in London. If they go one and three, they beat Baltimore and lose to Indy, depending on what fashion they lose to Indy, I still think he's gone at one and three. I think Gus Bradley is coaching for his job. 
for these two games. He has to win both. I don't. I, I they have said all along this was the year that they thought they could hit the play, they could make the playoffs. This is what Sharif Khan gave him the time to do. I don't think you can write off a team in this division at one and three. At zero and four, I can see it. I don't. I actually don't think they will fire him during the year. But I can see it at zero and four. I don't see it at one and three. It is still a very young team. And when you look at the defense with Miles Jack and Jalen Ramsey and uh, Dante Fowler, these are all guys playing in their first couple games as a pro, um, as professionals. I don't see it. I think that I think you have to give that team the entire – I think you have to give Bradley the entire season. Now, you know, one of the other teams that was – that I think – which I quoted as being extremely disappointing – are down a couple hundred miles down south in, in the nation's capital, and you're hearing rumblings about Kirk Cousins. Can you imagine after two games that there's a call to replace him considering how good he was last year? Now, he has not been very good the first two games. And the way the Giants' defense is playing, it's not exactly going to be an easy run for them next week. But can you re- – Chase Daniel or uh, uh, Cole McCoy, excuse me, it's not the it's not a long term solution. Do you really see them going? Do you really believe that there's validity to this? Well, okay. So Kirk Cousins has completed sixty five percent of his passes. Sixty five percent. He's thrown three interceptions and one touchdown. I'm looking at last year's stats. Last year he completed sixty nine percent of his completions. So for an, he's actually averaging 0.1 yards more this year than he did last year. Now, last year he threw for 29 touchdowns on 11 interceptions. He's thrown for one and three this year. But if I had to put some credence to this, and I don't have the stats in front of me, and I, I will try and get them right now, actually. I'm interested in how many – so here we go, rushes – so they're averaging 4.7 rush yards per carry, which is actually very good. So yeah, I'm yeah. kind of confused as to where the breakdown is. Is it just that Cousins is making those two or three bad passes a game, and that's how they get to the interceptions? Well, I know there was one of the one of the interceptions against Dallas, which was near the end of the game, was an awful, awful interception. It was it was yeah. Eli-esque. Um, to, you know, as, as those of you who have been watching this, listening to the show for years, the running joke is Eli Manning has one pass like he did this week where you just kind of shake your head. And I know Cousins had that last, had that last week against Dallas, which was intercepted in the end zone. Um, I find it amazing that a team that has done nothing for, I mean, for all intents and purposes, has done nothing for 20, for over 20 years. I mean, forgetting they won their last Super Bowl in 92. Have they won more than one playoff game since 92? They won the one with Gibbs, and that's all I can think of off the top of my head. There may be one or two other ones, which I'm just – that a guy who led them to a really unexpected division title, and you're already – the fans are already – even the teammates are turning on them after two games. I find that insane. Like, this is a guy who's playing – for a $20 million a year contract. He's playing for the contract. He doesn't have it. He has no, he does not in a position to be complacent. 
So I, I don't, answer, you know, this is also a guy. Sorry, please. To answer your question, they won a 2005 wild card game against Tampa Bay. They won a 1999 yep, wild card game against Detroit. And they won a 1992 wild card game against Minnesota. So they've won three playoff games in 24 years. That's less. That there may not be a team that's had that's won less. Maybe oh, Cleveland. Sure, there is. Yeah. <laughs> maybe Cleveland. Yeah. Maybe De- maybe Cleveland. Cleveland. Maybe De- maybe Detroit. But Detroit went to a conference final one year, although that may have been before '92. Um, Buffalo has no Buffalo went to the Super Bowl in '93 and '94. There probably aren't too many teams that have won less. So, you know, a team where you brought you, – you won a division last year. And even if it may have been fluky, it may not have been regardless. And, God, I hate being the Redskins sympathizer because I detest the Redskins almost more than any team in sports. But the dude, the dude won you a division title. And now after two games you're turning, I, I, I don't understand it. I, I don't get it. Well, it's – you have Seth. It's what have you done for me lately? This is no surprise. I mean, right? But dude, lately they won a division title. Yeah, but you live in New York, where people get booed based on one game. I mean, remember, the Giants haven't you, been to the playoffs since they wait, won the Super Bowl. Wait, but but remember Eli before he won the Super Bowl, right? People yeah. were calling for him to get benched. Even that year, people were calling for him to they get were. benched. But he had been he had been the starting quarterback for three three and a half years at that point, maybe two and a half years, or two years or three years. He had been a starting quarterback for an extended period of time. Cousins hasn't been. And yeah, we are as we are we are we are we are not a, we are not a a town that put that, that is good with patience. But I'll tell you something. Yankee fans have been, this, you know, have been pretty patient this year. You don't see too many people killing Girardi this, you know, over some of the relieving issues they've had the last week or two. But I, I find this, I really, I find this ridiculous. There are two, it's two games in. And look, I hope, there are, I hope there's a three-game discrepancy, you know, starting next week. But Okay. Let, anyway. Let's understand why Yankee fans can be patient. Let's understand why giant fans can be patient. This goes back to the same crap that we talked about last week. Okay? Are your Cleveland fans? Wait, wait, wait. Wait. No, no, no. No. If you're going to talk, let's talk. And let's understand why there is patience in, in the Bronx. Let's understand why there is even talk of patience in Queens. Because the Mets made a World Series last year. Go to Cleveland. There's no patience in Browns land. There's no patience in Redskin land. There's no patience in Lion land. There's no patience in Raider land. There's no patience in these places because they haven't won. When you have a winner, you can have an off season. You can have you can have a down year. You can say we will rebuild because there is patience. You have never been able to. You have never been able to. You have never 
been able to say, can we build in the Bronx? You have never been able, it's like saying you, you have to rebuild in Tallahassee. You never say that. You just reload. And I just bring up Tallahassee because yeah. it's fun to bring up a team that lost by 53. I disagree with you. When there, yes, when you have not won for 20 years, there is some, there should be some, there, I would be surprised that there would not be expediency. There would not be a hope for expedient, expedient turnaround. That's obvious. Wait, wait, wait. Not to interject, but I'm still going to interject because I'm that guy. Not like, to, wait, you don't want to not be a to jerk. interject, but not you're to going to jerk, interject. But I'm going to be. A but jerk. you're going to be a jerk. Right. Here's so anybody that ever tells you, ladies and gentlemen, to be honest, the response would always be if somebody starts a question, a statement with "to be honest." You should reply, so you lie to me every other time. So the fact is, well, that's and this still is in a black fact. and white world. Yes, here that's is a, a fact. That's a response Mr. in Kamins. your black and white world, my friend. Okay, give me right. a fact, Mr. Cayman's. Here is a fact. It's ironic, incredibly ironic, that you brought up sports that either don't have a salary cap or have free market which I thoroughly believe college football is a free market enterprise. You didn't okay. bring up sports. You didn't bring up sports where rebuilding is more than just spending money. So, yes, you're in Yankee land where you can't rebuild, where rebuilding is a four-letter world. You're right, because forever the Yankees have been able to just say, we'll throw more money at it. So – and you say you can't rebuild in Tallahassee. You're right, because recruiting has no limitations. We're just going to go do what we do because we can do it. You don't think that rebuilding was ever a – rebuilding is not a four-letter word for the Knicks. The, the fans have been clamoring for rebuilding for the last 20 years. We want rebuilding. Rangers, Islanders. Sports where you can't just throw money at the problem, it doesn't matter whether you're a big market team or a small market team. Rebuilding is part of the game. So when you bring up the Yankees and you bring up the the Seminoles, I'm sorry. It's a four-letter word because you don't need to rebuild. There's no such thing as it. Don't tell me the Yankees didn't solved their problem in some way because they threw a ton of money at guys that they then traded. That's exactly what they did. They ate money in these deals. Exactly what they did. So, yeah, they used their resources. So I I guess what I'm saying is there are places in the world that are okay with the rebuilding. They just want the rebuild to actually happen. <laughs> And Washington, I understand. You're, I understand it. I'd be stressed out. I am stressed out. I'm a Jets fan. It's called life. What we do? You we sound a little. Day. You sound a little. You sound a little stressed out. I, I'm not going yeah, to yeah, lie hey. to you. I'm one and one, yeah. and, and I'm in a division with the Patriots, who are two and zero, oh, and probably with Jacoby Brisket, whose not name is not Brisket. It's Brisket. But I'm going to refer to him as Brisket. Jacoby Brisket is going to be three and zero somehow. And I, if he gets hurt, you know who the backup quarterback is this week? 
Julian Edelman. And he's going to throw for four touchdowns. He's going to throw for four touchdowns. Somehow, he won't run them in, although they said, and you know what? I really would like to see him a quarterback because they said if he does become a quarterback, they're going to run out of the wishbone. How awesome would Which that would be? Which would be awesome. Maybe we can bring, up, bring back Barry Switzer for like a two-week stint to help, run, to help teach it. So anyway, yeah, I, I understand why Washington fans are against Kirk Cousins right now. He's not getting the job done. And they're 0-2 in a division, as you have said, that is wide open for the taking. The Giants are not that good. The Eagles are not that good. Dallas is not that good. If you're a Washington fan before this year, you're saying, I can win this division. This division is down. This is my year. And this is what they come out with? This isn't the Jacksonville Jaguars who have all this young talent coming in. This is an older team in Washington. So, yeah, I can understand the frustration entirely. Trust me, next year, it'll be my frustration. Oh, Christian Hackenberg. I understand. I do. Anyway. I think you'll be starting fresh. But anyway. I'm going to give you a moment of glory here. You touched upon it while we were going through this mantra of rebuilding, restocking, reloading. And you said, it's really funny when a team reloads and then loses by 50 points. So, were you shocked by Louisville? Because my Syracuse loss looks a lot better now. I was shocked. Was I shocked they won the game? No. Um, I had seen Lamar Jackson last year and thought he was phenomenal. I know how good a college coach Petrino is. But to say I expected – a team, I, I don't expect an NFL team to beat Florida State by 53. To say anything, to say anything more than to say, there, there were no words to show to say how shocked I was. I missed, I watched the first quarter, well, I skipped about an hour of the game. And I left, it was 7 nothing Louisville. Uh, I took kiddo for a walk, took the dog into the park, and I came back, said, you know, I got the second half. I'm going to be home probably watching college football from 3 o'clock till 1 in the morning. And I come back, and it's 28-10, it's and they scored again. It was 35-10. What he, this is unbelievable. It is shocking. There is no other way to put it. And I don't see how far the state, no matter what happens, whether they beat Clemson, whether they beat Louisville in a rematch, well, they wouldn't play because they're in the same division. Whether they somehow win the ACC, you know, they beat they, they whether they kill Florida, whether they beat Miami, whether they win the ACC, I don't see how you can make a playoff losing by fifty three points. I don't see it. I don't. I, I don't think it's possible. Um, well, I, think well, I think the only makes, way that they make the playoffs at is if other teams lose by that many as well. Right, I mean, you can't. You yeah, can only control what you do. Incredibly unlikely. Agreed. Which is, yeah, I. You look around, and the big. You know, it's already. It's, it's very interesting. The Big Ten is already pretty much out of the playoffs. 
there's no there is there's probably not a single team with a chance to make the playoff at this point. The top five teams have all lost the game. Notre Dame is out. Florida State is probably out. Excuse me. So you're already looking at, you know, Clemson has not looked very good. With that Clemson-Louisville game in a couple weeks, you know, Louisville now, Louisville, I mean, you're looking at potentially the game of the year is a, is a rematch of the 1984 Final Four. That's the, that's the, that's, that's how weird this is. Is Houston, it could be very well be Houston-Louisville playing in mid-November. Well, both teams could very, could be undefeated and playing for a playing for a spot in the big four in, in, the, in the college football playoff. Seth, let me clarify something. Is that the game of the century or just the game no. of the year? Because if it's the game of the century, I'm hoping it's more than 9-6 by the end of the nine, game. 9-6, and I'm hoping there's not a rematch in the title game. And remember, I did not say it was the game of the century. At no, 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 that was an insult. That was an inside we know, we joke. We know who that came the, from. But, yep, an inside joke for those that listen to the show from our good friend, Mr. Isles. An absolutely inside joke, and it, it, it was tremendous. So, uh, it, well, so well, we well, well put, my Bate. friend, well put. Thank you. We, we hope to have the Bate Isles on the show again. Um, and, and you know what? If he beats us this week, we're happy to have him on the show to eat some crow. And if we beat him this week, we hope he comes on the show to make an appearance and to give us our props. Because there is no better friend of the show than Nabate. Really. He, 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 he's a good guy. We love him to death. But, um, okay, we got five minutes except to go, when we, Except friend. when we don't. So yeah, a couple, it's not very a couple. often that we don't. You know, Nabate and I have had our disagreements over the course of time but one of the more respected people that I know in sports. As long as he okay. agrees that Jeff Bagwell should be in the Hall of Fame. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, my friend. Happy 50th birthday to a man most sports fans never thought would get there. The one and the only Mike Tyson. Now a family man, known by high schoolers and junior high people more as the guy from The Hangover singing One Night in Thailand. Then is the most feared boxer of a generation. Uh, congrats to Canelo Alvarez. Let's for your for your big wins uh, over Liam Smith. Let's see you fight Triple G to actually have a relevant boxing to have a, a million dollar boxing purchase. To the schmuck that does uh, that that for that did that did Twitter for uh, the San Francisco Giants. I hope the hell you got the one who put with Bumgarner who KKK'd uh, the the player from the, the I forget who it was uh, absolutely disgusting and ridiculous like like our world like our country isn't falling isn't writing enough of this stupid crap to begin with I find this embarrassing um, also quick props to my Maryland's three and O you only had to beat a team that was zero and twelve last year in double overtime good job. Quickly, what are your thoughts on the World Cup of Hockey, and then we'll have you finish up. Well, I was going to hit on that. It's the hockey tournament that nobody knows about. And I do have a couple of friends that are going up to Toronto this week, and they are going to get some tickets and go. Uh, it's definitely something I would be interested in seeing. 
a lot of the health of this World Cup of Hockey will be determined in 2018, which may or may not be the last Olympics with the NHL players. And if it is the last Olympics with the NHL players, then I think the World Cup of Hockey will come back to prime stage and people will be much more looking forward to it than they are today. Unfortunately, it's not getting the props that you deserve because it is tremendous hockey with tremendous players. But again, you have injuries, and Tyler Seguin has a hairline fracture in his heel, and that's going to keep him out for a couple of weeks in the season, if not months. Props to the New York Mets, who are in a playoff spot right now. Props to Bartolo Colon. I have no idea on how you continually do it. And more to the point, for somebody that has remade their image entirely. Speaking of remaking your image, I am anticipating, eagerly anticipating news out of East Hampton tonight. East Hampton is a, is a town on Long Island where supposedly Larry Brown is going to go coach a high school team. Yes, what? that Larry Brown, the Hall of Famer Larry Brown who left SMU amongst allegations of recruiting, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, he's not a great guy. But he's a great coach. He's coached in – I think he's the only coach to have won a gold medal, an NCAA tournament, and an NBA championship. Is that correct? I don't think he won a gold medal. Okay. So he's the only one to have won an NBA and an NBA and and a – yeah. Okay. So he's the only one to do that. Maybe he'll win a high school championship too. Sometimes it's good to go back to your roots. And at his roots, Kevin, uh, Larry Brown has always been known as a very good teacher of basketball. And look, if you can do that, you can do anything. Next week on the show, we hope to have Nabate Isles. Uh, we're going to be lining up a couple of more guests over the next couple of weeks including Mike Waters, who writes for the Syracuse Post-Standard, maybe Ralph Vacchiano, who works for SNY, who covers the New York Jets, and formerly for the Daily News, who covered the New York Giants. We are now on Tuesdays, Tuesdays in 7-8. So this is our spot for the next uh, – until Jake is, is going for his bar mitzvah. <laughs> for Seth Kamins, this is Sean Palmer, Blog Talk Radio's Back Sports page. Thanks, you all, for joining, and we'll see you again. Tuesday, 7 o'clock next week. Have a good one, everybody.